classes has made some new friends for you, that you've got to know some of these guys a little better, and maybe we'll visit them more often. Zechariah. What do we know about Zechariah? Well, those of you who are in Bible class know some now. You know that it's more than just the relief you feel when you're saying the books of the Old Testament and you get to Zechariah and there's only one more, Malachi, and then you've done it. Uh, Zechariah had a lot of good things to say to his people and continues to speak to us as well. Zechariah is probably the minor prophet we should know the best according to his usage in the New Testament. He is the most quoted of the minor prophets in the New Testament. Seven times words of Zechariah are directly quoted word for word in the New Testament. And other than that, his words are alluded to 64 times. So what he had to say had a real impact on not only his people, but on the early church and should on us as well. Now, if you spent some time with Zechariah, you know that it's not the easiest book to read. Uh, He's got some really wild visions there at the first. Uh, If if you haven't read chapter 5 of Zechariah, make a mental note to go back and do that. Uh, We're not going to work on 5, so don't do it right now, okay? But go back and read chapter 5. You'll read about a flying scroll going through the air. And then one of my favorites you got a little basket with a tiny little woman sitting in it. And uh, that's just fun read right there. But we're going to look at chapter 7 today, something that's a little more understandable. Uh, Chapter 9 to the end of the book can only be described as psychedelic. Uh, So if you can figure those all out, then you uh, are doing well. But let's go back to chapter 7. And uh, I I don't know why I gave Brian and Gene the wrong... Uh, reference, but we're going to be reading chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. So let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. In the fourth year of King Darius, the Word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, that's the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priest of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month (sighs) as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priest. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, Was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words of the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous, and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You're going to have a flashback to Micah here. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. And in your hearts, do not think evil of each other. May God bless the reading of his word. One of the most annoying things that we humans are capable of is whining. Ask parents how they enjoy their children when they start 
whining. Even grandparents, I mean, the bastions of patience, begin to lose it a little bit. Of course, I'm not speaking from personal experience here, but begin losing it a little bit whenever even the grandkids, as precious and wonderful as they are, start whining. There's something about whining that just sets us off. And Zechariah, in this passage that we read, encounters a group of whiners. Now, you should know by now, if you went to Bible class, who Zechariah is and when he worked. He was working from about 520 to 518 B.C., along with Haggai, his companion, as they brought the Word of God to get up and rebuild the temple of the Lord and to restore the worship of the Lord. And as they were doing that, some people from Bethel came up and asked this question. Do we have to keep doing this? We've been for 70 years, we've been having to do these fasts in the fifth month, and we're tired. Can't we just stop? Zechariah gives them the answer that parents and grandparents give to their kids. Anytime the kids start saying things, do we have to? The answer is something like this. Do you have to eat your broccoli? Do you have to do your homework? Who do you think benefits from that? Do you think that eating your broccoli makes me stronger? No. You eat your broccoli because it makes you stronger. And doing your homework, do you have to do your homework? Well, who do you think benefits from doing your homework? You have to do your homework if you want to learn and you want to be educated. So when you ask me if you have to do this and have to do that, remember if you don't, who it is that's being hurt. And Zechariah basically says the same thing to these people. Do we have to keep doing this? Well, who is benefiting from your fasting? Who is benefiting from your worship? Do you think that the God that we serve cannot exist unless you worship him? Do you think that, that he is going to be crippled and not have the power that he needs to have unless you come together with his people and sing praises to his name? Now, it's an interesting question because during Zechariah's time, there were a lot of ideas about God and gods around. And for some of them, their gods really did thrive on and need the praise of the people in order to continue to exist. For example, did you realize that there are, in almost every culture, some reference in the history of that culture to the flood, which to those of us who believe in the Bible believe that's just further evidence that there was a great flood that covered everything. Well, the Babylonians had a story. It's called the Gilgamesh Epic, and we actually still have copies of that. And an interesting thing is that at the end of the story, after the flood is over, and all the people who were still alive were locked up in that boat, when they finally came out of the boat, they offered sacrifices to their gods. 
And there are gods that says hovered around that sacrifice like flies because they had been starving to death the whole time that the people were in the boat and couldn't do the worship, couldn't do the sacrifices. Well, the God that we serve doesn't need that. He is almighty. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. And yes, the praises we give him are sweet to his ears. And he loves us dearly. And for us to come and to take out a portion of our time to lift up his name and to say thank you. Oh, all through scripture we read how God just treasures that. He treasures it. He loves it. But he doesn't need it. It's really not for him that we do it. But really, we are the ones who benefit from coming together and worshiping our God. To come together and worship Him gives us the perspective that we need to live. For one thing, it keeps us from being too haughty and proud. You know, pride doesn't just mean you go around patting yourself on the back all the time. What pride means is that you just go around doing what you want to do and thinking that what you're doing and your group is, that's all that's happening. And losing the perspective that God is in charge, God is over all, that he is the creator, we are the created. And for us to humbly come before him And lift up his name and say, we recognize, God, that you are great. You are almighty. And we are not. Helps keep our lives in perspective. But on the other hand, coming and worshiping the Lord keeps us from becoming too sorrowful as well and too downcast. Because we realize oftentimes that we get ourselves into fixes and we do things we shouldn't do. And we come together and we lift up the name of the Lord and we recognize that he loves us and that he forgives us and his mercy is poured out into our lives. We realize that we can't live without the mercy and the love of God. We are healed as we lift up his name and recognize that he truly has forgiven us. So to the whiners, they say... Do we really have to go to church every Sunday? I mean, my, my, my. Every Sunday we have to go to church? And, and what is this stuff about going back on Sunday night and, and being a part of a small group and doing all these things? Do we have to do that? And what about Wednesday nights? Some of y'all in this room remember when you used to be told that if you didn't come to church on Wednesday night, you were going to hell. Remember those days? Well, we're nicer now. (laughs) I'm tired on Wednesday. I've been working all day. Do I have to go on Wednesday? Well, the answer to that question is no. You don't have to go on Wednesday. You don't have to go on Sunday. You can make up your own. You don't have to come on Sunday mornings. But the rest of that answer is grow up. Realize. What's happening here? Who are you worshiping for? And to deny yourself the opportunity 
to lift up the name of God and sing His praises and to hear His Word and to say thank you to Him. It's not hurting Him. It's crippling us. And it's keeping us from being who we can be and who God has called us to be. So while we come to worship with taking our eyes off ourselves and placing them on God, we are the ones who leave that experience more whole, healed, and ready to face our lives through the rest of the week. Now, that's not all that Zechariah had to say. In fact, God had more to speak through Zechariah to the people. He said, if you want to know what really does touch me and what really does affect me and what benefits me, listen to this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, or the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. One of the basic messages of Scripture over and over and over again is that the way we treat other people is directly correlated to the way we treat God. And the way we touch God and truly do the things that benefit Him is reflected in what we do and what we think and how we feel about other people. Let me point out a couple of examples of that. The Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, He put in this phrase, And Lord... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, that is the only part of that prayer that at the end of the prayer, Jesus comes back and highlights. And he said, I want you guys to know this, that God will forgive you to the same measure that you are willing to forgive others. Do you realize what we're saying when we pray, forgive us our transgressions or forgive us our debts, just like we forgive the transgressions and debts of others? What we're praying is this, Lord, just watch me. Watch how I treat other people. Watch what I say to other people. Watch my attitudes toward everybody else. And all I'm asking is that you treat me the same way. Be careful when we say that prayer. Because God is saying, that's where you touch me, is in your attitudes and your actions toward others. Matthew chapter 25 is another example. Remember, that's, that's the great picture of the, the judgment day, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats and all of that. And he looks at one group and says, sorry, guys, you didn't make it because I needed help and you didn't give it to me. And they said, I didn't see you. Where were you? You know the answer to that question, don't you? I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was sick. You didn't come see me. Got thrown in prison. Didn't visit me there. Didn't have any clothes to wear. You didn't seem to care. And by doing those things, you touched me. Worship and praise and piety are important. They're important because we need them. We need them to make us whole. 
We need them to experience the salvation that God has given us. One of my favorite passages, it really is, Philippians, where Paul, after the Christ hymn, and he talks about that we should do these things so that we will grow into our salvation. And that's why we come together to lift up the name of Jesus, while we bow our knee before him, so that we can grow into this wonderful gift and experience this gift of healing and salvation that he has given us. But if we want to touch God, we must go out into this world and bless those who are around us, to bless our families, to bless our friends, to bless those who are in need. Not to come to worship God is a sin, but it's a sin against ourselves. We're only hurting ourselves and being less than we could be. But to treat others with scorn, to ignore their needs, to think things about them, as he says, evil in your hearts, to ignore, to mistreat, mm, that's a sin. It's a sin against others. And most importantly, it's a sin against God. Zechariah gives us a strong encouragement today. Strong encouragement to appreciate the wonderful gift of worship and a strong encouragement to see where it is that we can actually touch our Lord. Today's a wonderful day for that because we have opportunity to be out there knocking on doors, saying prayers with others, breaking down barriers. And I hope that by coming together here today and lifting up the name of God, you have been given the gift of peace, comfort, confidence, and a challenge that you want everyone to come to know the Lord that has blessed your heart. Let's stand and sing.